Hola, friends. Hello, everybody. How is it going? How the F diggle diggle double G do you do? Do you do today? Mm. Um, we both been a little bit sick. Yes, with Americitis. Americitis. We were just discussing earlier that it's like we have like like the inauguration like uh, blues. Nothing with the blues. What did I call it? We've uh, had the cold, basically. We've had a cold, but, yes. um, we're blaming Donald Trump for it. We're blaming Donald Trump for it, and we called it cabinetosis. Cabinetosis, acute cabinetosis, or yeah. erroneous cabinetosis. Erroneous cabinetosis. Uh, I think that's more. I think that's more where it's at, or where we're at in general. But yeah, I just spent a little bit of time in New York City, where it was way too cold, and I swiftly and smoothly brought my black ass back to where I belong here in Southern California, uh, and. Westside was not even on the ground for five minutes before I realized that I had a cold and I mm. blame. Mm, mm, mm. Did you get back before or after the Grammys? I got back after the Grammys. Mm. So that was those. maybe that's why you got sick. It could be. That's why. Mm. It's just like there was a bunch of residuals yeah. uh, in the air. I know it was the Grammys were I, I guess I haven't really like watched the Grammys like like watch them watch them. Since Macklemore won the best rap album, uh, because I decided that that was no longer to, uh, uh, an award show that it's represented just me. Crazy! Can you it's believe that just... that happened? <laughs> over Kendrick. Over I mean, Kendrick. The, the thing is, like Taylor Swift has two best. album of the year I know. Grammys. I know. You know who doesn't have one? Beyonce. Beyonce, Kanye West, Mariah Carey, Jay Z, Jay Z. I don't know. Name any any important black artist in the last twenty years. None of them. Not a. You know single who doesn't one. have one? Prince. Prince never got one. Taylor Swift two. Prince zero. Zero. So I don't know. I mean, you know what? I was pretty jazzed when I got my Grammy nomination. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely like a you did it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously not, not, regardless. I mean, like I can sit here and talk shit as much as I want, but if I got a Grammy nomination, I mean, you can tell me shit. But in the same token, uh, it's just a bummer to see uh, so much amazing music being made on a regular basis that uh, is not even being recognized as what it is by a, what's allegedly like a panel of their peers yeah. and people that know something about music. Yeah. And it's just like... I know, it's very confusing. Half the people that were nom- For example, there were like two people who were nominated for... Uh, best new artist that I had literally never heard of. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying like, and, and I, I get this to a point where I'm just like, I obviously know that I'm not always going to know who everyone is, but I think I'm oh, pretty I gave, knowledgeable. I gave up on that yeah. a long time ago. I literally know who, like, I just, and I also don't even care now. No, I don't. I'm I don't. like, do I need to, I, my thinking is like, if I need to know who you are. I will. Then I'll find out. I'll find out. Eventually. I will find out. Yeah. And I stopped for checking for oof. everybody. I know. It was funny. I uh, I had a couple people that like hit me up and were like, hey, did you see so-and-so's performance? And There uh, was some, you know, there was some really great performances. Which, was your, which ones did you enjoy? Um, well, Beyonce. Obviously. I mean, like, obviously, just duh. like, duh. I didn't even have to see it to I know mean, that it was going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> just like, number one performance of the night, Beyonce. Yeah, I mean, it was this just is, incredible. Yeah, it was um, amazing. Beautiful, flawless, creative, 
just I just loved stunning. all the iconography. Yeah. And it was just super well executed. And that chair bit was a little concerning just because it was like. Everyone was frightened. You know, you it reminded me of like when the first time I saw Michael Jackson like lean over and thinking he was just going to fall and face plant. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> I know. But still, you're carrying um, the hope I of America. Bruno smashed his Prince tribute. I don't know. People were saying, you know, finally a Prince tribute worthy of him. And I was like, did. Everyone forget that Bilal, like, did that, like, a, a while ago and, like, scalped an entire nation. No, Bilal killed it. So That's I mean, not to say that Bruno didn't did also. Yeah. But I was just like, wait a second. Let's not forget that. Like, Oh, people always forget about Bilal. I know. Bilal is He's amazing. He's the truth. Like, amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, just never gets enough credit. Never. There's ever, just so ever. many artists that don't get. We need to do, like, a give them their propers episode. Or maybe just a series or just like of episodes. A whole year. We can do like maybe that's like March. We can just talk about people who like need to I'm be down. taken. Fucking, let's do it. Like I'm yeah. so ready for it because Bilal will take up an entire episode for me. I mean, like all for love. Like just his first album, I destroyed regularly. Yeah, love for sale. I mean, so good. Any day, fast lane. Yeah. Oh, God. But get into it. Yeah. Um, so other one that I enjoyed was Tribe, no. Tribe, Tribe, Tribe oh, yeah, Quest, Tribe. Anderson, uh, yeah, Anderson, big, um, um, Busta, Busta, yeah, amazing, that was incredible, amazing, yeah, yeah, that was like, that was definitely one of the performances of the night, absolutely, my, you know, Adele and I, you know, we Homies. were, yeah, yeah, we used to hang out back in the day, I love her, I think she's cool, but she was the wrong person to do the George Michael tribute I wonder for a number of reasons. And my thinking is like... They should have got Sam Smith. I mean, he's basically They should have at least life. got Sam Smith. Yeah. Because, I mean, I just felt like there's so little representation of queer artists yeah. in the music industry period right, right now. Exactly. There's none. Yeah. I mean, was there anyone on stage at the Grammys this year that, I mean, that, that performed um, at least? I'm trying to think. The vocal. What's that group where they do like, they're like a YouTube... Pentatonix? Yeah. They are everywhere. Yeah, they're pretty gay. Yeah, they're pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like Ellen DeGeneres gay. You know, that's like white America gay. Yeah. They're not, I mean, they're pretty gay, but that's like. I, I mean, I would have loved to have heard but somebody both. do freedom. As, oh, You know my I mean? Like God. right now in 2017. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we need like George Michael freedom and we need it to be gay. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, 100%. Yeah. All day. All day. So I just... I, I don't just, know why they didn't do that. That would have been great. They could have had like, an entire like crew of people up there singing that song. They could have you had know? like the the gay choir of any, yeah, of any city. city in I the mean, world. I mean, hell. They have like, all of West Hollywood that would have just like, shown yeah. up over I there. I thought it was like, a really... Up. It was a missed opportunity. And another just like, oh, we don't see you. Yeah. Well, whatever. That's so 2000 and late, apparently. <sighs> <laughs> but it's still Black History Month. It is still Black History Month. And we are still going to talk about Black history. Um, and I'm really excited about this week because uh, these are two people whom are super, super important. And uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I was excited to look into both of their histories because I, I mean, I guess I really looked into mine. So I'm excited to hear <laughs> Uh, more about who you're talking. Well, I'm talking about. We're talking about rock music pioneers. Yeah. Rock, today. rock and roll pioneers. Rock and roll pioneers for sure. I think a lot of times. I mean, everyone kind of knows that you know rock music is 
originated as a, 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 a sort of a black sound. Let's let's but not just everyone. Let's just wheel that back in because <laughs> when you say everybody knows that, you are telling major falsehoods. <laughs> because there are literally so many people that think Elvis Presley. White people oh, that think Elvis Presley invented rock and roll, and that's not. And true. even Elvis knew that he didn't. Even Elvis didn't know. And the crazier part that people, I mean, the thing that I I found interesting is that like, I guess I just knew that. I mean, maybe I did just know that. I mean, maybe just black people know that. But in my head, it's <laughs> crazy too. There's a lot too. of alternative. There's a lot facts. of alternative facts. I mean, that is so true. That They've so been true. around. But there is uh, some really, really, really rich history in rock and roll mm. uh, when it comes down to black history. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because it is a, a, a wholly black sound in its origination, but it's even crazier that it really started in like the black church. Yeah. Um, in the it, South. In the South. And yeah. it was in, it's, it's really just a v- variety of gospel music. Yeah. Uh, and people like literally forget about the fact that people like Elvis Presley, like, um, um, Jerry Lee Lewis and people mm-hmm. like that, they would go to these black churches in the South and they'd sit in the back and they'd sit and listen to these people play and have their minds fucking blown. And mm. that's that's where they get their sound from. Um, yeah. But the crazier thing too, um, people forget that that sound that Elvis popularized or... A lot of white artists at the time took this sound and these... and. and in fact, they straight up just took songs that black artists had already done, already done, and and redid them for like the quote unquote white, you know. Think about uh, Big Mama population. Thornton. You know, yeah. like everything that she, she like Hound Dog. She was the first person to sing that song, and it was a massive hit. Yeah, massive hit. And then like 10, 15 years later, Elvis does it, and people are like, "Whoa!" No, I think it's like ten years, but people are like, "Whoa! This is brand new. Oh my yeah. god, I've never heard anything like this before." Yeah. I'm like, "Are you serious?" This yeah, like I mean, Pat age. Boone did yeah. uh, Tutti Frutti by yeah. um, Little Richard yeah. and made that a hit for white people. Um, you know, there's <laughs> there the was like really two different worlds going on yeah. in radio. And it's crazy when people back then were able to like transcend that sort of disconnect. Because regardless of uh, the one thing that's like, kind of crazy and beautiful about music and being a musician in the in, in the sort of height of Jim Crow um, is that if you were black, you could play to black audiences and you could be pretty successful in doing so. Mm. Um, you were able to to move around with some notoriety and some dignity uh, and so a certain level of security mm. uh, with that kind of fame. But rarely were people really able to transcend that space of just being a black artist. I mean, they started the rhythm and blues charts for Billboard, and they just call them the race charts because they're like, this is the music that black people listen to. <laughs> like, we don't even, we can't even qualify them in the same as everybody else. And <clears throat> I mean, the, 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 the ability that people like Little Richard and Sister Rosetta Tharp, who we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm talking about Little Richard. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going into Sister Rosetta Tharp and, um, the they were two people who were rarely able to kind of take that that um, that success to a mainstream audience uh, to a white audience mm. and um, yeah very mixed audience yeah and were yeah. were able to co- and they commanded like a, like the the stage and the attention and the 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 power and the fame that they had mm. 
Um, and there had, it wasn't that they'd never been artists that had done that before because, yeah. I mean, you think about like Billy Ella Holiday, Fitzgerald, yeah. Billy Holiday, yeah. you know, Basie, yeah, Louis Armstrong. Exactly. Yeah. The, these, these people reached a wide audience, but they were more, they were coming from, you know, jazz. This jazz was, was like great. the next, you know, then sort of came blues, mm -hmm. which was rooted in gospel as well. Yeah. And blues was sort of the, the evolution yeah. that led to rock and roll. Yep. The, the sort of the rawness and the energy and the sexuality that they the spoke of. The raw sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, like, it's real. Yeah. Like, they, they talked and they moved. It was the first, like, real panty drop in it music. It was. It yeah. was. That was a shit that kids were like, that, you know, that's where all the, that's why people got married so young. <laughs> you know, like, people were getting knocked up left and right because yeah. of rock and roll. I mean, it's crazy to think because, like, rock and roll was, like, a major epidemic yeah. in the United States. And the same way people looked at, like, rap music. Yeah. They were just like. It was like the devil's this music. This is the devil's music. You know, this is making all these teenagers get naked and touch each other's genitals. Yeah, these little Becky and Tina were mm -hmm. starting to act crazy. Mm -hmm. you acting know, all fast out here in the streets. Acting all fast. How about that? <laughs> 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 oh god no i mean it's it, it's funny so i think like anyways like i was saying i'm really excited to get into this because yeah and i've always been a fan of of sisters of the tharp i remember like when i first found out about her i was um i was 16 and i was working at this uh this restaurant in kansas city and i uh, one of the girls that I worked with, she was like a blues singer. Uh, shout outs to Jen. She's probably not listening, but whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but Fuck she you, Jen. she introduced me to like Big Mama Thornton and also Sisters at a Tharp. And I was just like, who is this lady? And I remember going on line and finding some songs from her and like some videos on YouTube of her just like shredding on the guitar. And mm. I was like, this old black lady was doing this before anybody else was. And it was this like crazy, crazy like realization that I had. And I think um, not until like this week or like last week did I like, did I like really start digging into her backstory. And it's pretty fucking fascinating um, because she was just such a bad bitch. <laughs> like such a bad bitch. Might even, I might even say she might've been the original bad bitch. Mm. Um, because the way in which she was able to do what she was doing and handle her business and remain and and like really really define who she was and how she wanted to present herself was pretty dope. Um, cool. Do we have any like housekeeping stuff to talk about before I get into my shit? Well, I wanted to sort of clear up. Oh, one we're back thing. on iTunes, like for real. For yeah, real. we are. We're back on iTunes, and every time I think we get on like another platform because you know we're growing and like popularity and stuff, and like, like just sophistication in general. Yeah, we're like an epidemic now. Mm -hmm. um, we always find out about some new platform that we're not on. Yeah. So also, if you want to be like an intern for us, yeah. hit us up on our email. Yeah, because like we just we don't have can't. the time. It's we don't have the time. So busy. So if you want but, like points for your like something or other class and you want to be our yeah, intern. Or you just want to like sit and hang out with us for like a couple hours, like once a week and then like do some other work. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. Think Walk about it. Walk my dog. Yeah. No. Get me a coffee. 
No, not even coffee. Well, I, I wanted to clear latte. up one thing what was that? that I said because it's when I heard it back, it sounded like uh, you know we were listening to Jocelyn Brown sing the shit out of some stuff in the Paradise Garage, uh-huh. and I said something along the lines of "There needs to be more singers who are ugly as fuck <laughs> that can just really sing." <laughs> And it sounded like I was calling out Jocelyn Brown as ugly, which she is not. She's a beautiful woman. Oh my God. I didn't even clack that. Clack that. (laughs) Clack that. But what I was really referring to was like, you know, there was a time. Yeah, there was a time in the industry where you could look like anything. You mean but you also mean like ugly face singers. Like in the same way that that Viola Davis would act a scene out. Oh yeah, and she'd just cry with like snot everywhere. The way like Fantasia sings a song. Like she's not trying to look pretty while she's doing it, not trying to be cute. She's singing at a a Fantasia show. Oh my god, I've always wanted to see (laughs) her. What happens there? I feel like I would It it, looks like a hurricane like took her family (laughs) and left her like on the stage. (laughs) Like is she okay? Okay. <laughs> I mean, every time I watch She's her letting perform, you have it. every single ounce of it. I mean, it reminds probably reminds me of. I remember I saw um, Casey and JoJo perform <laughs> once, and I was absolutely blown away. But I was like, "How do you do this? Like day it's after? It's not safe. It's not safe. It's You're gonna bl- safe. bust a blood vessel. Yeah, like, they go really in all the way. Way too far in. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I don't I I loved I every single second it. of it. I appreciate that. Was that was a great show, but I'm going to see Fantasia soon. Oh, I would love I, to I see her to, live. You know? Yeah, it's like the rapture every time. It absolutely. <laughs> Just be all right, my body is ready. My body is fucking ready. <sighs> yeah, swing down low sweet chair. So I think that's pretty much all I wanted to clear up. All right. I don't think I have anything I was pretty much flawless last week. So yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> so this is a guy who, like, I was talking for way too fucking long. Yes. Like, I probably, the only reason why that episode was so long is because... We were really pumped. We were really pumped. <laughs> really excited. But let's get into the actual shit that we're supposed to be talking about yeah. today. Um, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp and... Little uh, Richard. Little Richard. And actually, Sister Rosetta Thorp was Little Richard's favorite singer. Yes. Uh, she uh, went to one of his first shows as well. Yeah. Yeah. And she pulled him up on stage. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, I'm going to get to some yeah. of her in my story. But connections. yeah, there's connections. But um, yeah, so I, mean, I guess we get started. Rosetta Tharp, obviously, like I said, bad bitch. And it's important to give her her propers because... We, I think, as a society, are very much so obsessed with, like, who the father or godfather of something was and rarely, rarely understand or recognize the importance that women played in popular music uh, and, more importantly, black women. I mean, like, everyone everyone knows of, you know, like, Tina Turner as, like, the queen of rock and roll, but, mm-hmm. like, they don't really know that the woman who was absolutely instrumental in the actual, like, creation of it and the, the spread of it was Sister Rosetta Tharp. I mean, she is mm. the 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 lifeblood behind what it is. And I'll say this now, early on, uh, because I will talk about how important she is, and it will make sense, but it is absolutely egregious that she is still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. She's not? Not. Not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at all. Come on, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they have one sentence about her in on their website. And it's just like a, it's like a mention of her and they don't even understand like that sound that she, like the, I'll just, let me just start with playing one thing of her on this guitar, um, because 
this happened in 1943, uh, and this was 10 to 12 years before uh, Elvis ever did anything. That's a middle-aged black woman shredding on an electric guitar <laughs> like it's nobody's goddamn business. Yeah. That was not something that was happening nope. in people's houses nope. or homes. Like, that was not... That was years before that was in Do the mainstream. Do you want to know what the number one song was? I'm just going to play a little bit of what was popular back then. Mm. This was big band I mean, it was years. still the war. It was, it was still World War II. Yeah, I mean... This is that was four years <clears throat> after um, the Wizard of Oz came out. Yeah, I mean this is jazz, big band years yeah. th- through and through. Nobody even knew what rock and roll was. Rock and roll didn't even have a name back then. Yeah, like it wasn't even wow. It wasn't even a genre. And she was shredding, and she was shredding on a fucking guitar, singing gospel music. Um, but yeah, so Sister Rosetta was born wow. in <laughs> 1915, which was 20 years before Elvis. Uh, and she could play the guitar better than anybody else could, or before, or anyone then. Um, she was born in Arkansas. Um, her parents were cotton pickers, and they were also, uh, they worked in the Church of God in Christ, which is a very, very big um, Pentecostal uh, black uh, denomination. Um, it's actually really funny because she started playing the guitar quite early on when she was four years old and started singing in church because her mom was an evangelist and like mm. a mandolin player. Um, her father, Chuck, I believe was his name, was a, a singer as well. So they all grew up in church and sang there. Um, and the interesting thing about the Kojic Church, as it's called, um, was that it was really kind of where that sound got its birth because gospel music in general was such a major part of the sort of of that denomination's kind of faith in general um they kind of upheld the 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 belief that like you are connected to a higher power through music uh, and the musical expression through dancing and different things like that so everything that you kind of assign to like a black church experience uh gospel music kind of was birthed in that in that space in the mm. Kojic church um, and that's kind of where she got her start at. She uh, went on the road when she was four as a traveling evangelist with her mother and her, uh, and they just t- they went everywhere. Wow! And she just started. She'd been playing uh, gospel music uh, and became like very, very, very popular as uh, her as that sort of gospel sound became very, very widespread throughout the United States within black churches. Um, she moved to Chicago uh, when she was twenty three. And she became married to a guy named Thomas Thorpe. And that's how she got her name, Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Um, she wasn't really, she never really, there's not really a whole lot of, of video or recording, obviously, mm, from this I time. Bet. Because yeah. it's, you know, like. Because uh, we didn't have Snapchat. We didn't have Snapchat back then. I don't know how they got along. But 
Um, when she moved to New York in 1938, uh, she got her kind of first big kind of crossover success. Uh, when she joined this guy named Lucky Millinders, uh, he was a kind of a, a or an orchestra leader on Decca, and uh, she joined his band and released a few songs. One of which I'll play a couple of them um, because it was kind of uh, the first time that this sound ever was exposed to a mainstream audience, mm-hmm. and uh, people kind of forget about that. I'm maintaining. I just go on and complaining. But before this time, another year. Oh, my life, me all forsaken. Mm. And death may overtake me. But if I am with him, I have no need to fear. Wow. You just yeah. hide me in thou bosom. She, um... I just hang on a small finish this song. So that was 1938. Wow. Um, this was uh, kind of an interesting time because she became this massive crossover hit whom was huge in the church in these mm-hmm. very conservative spaces uh, and then also performing all of this stuff in nightclubs. And this was massive, massively successful, wow. successful in big cities. And she was the, as a result of kind of the the songs that she released with Lucky Millinder, some of which were kind of not really her vibe. She recorded some that were a little too, I guess you would say, a little too sexual. Um, oh, oh, a little too. Um, they weren't like they weren't gospel songs, but they weren't overtly sexual. Well, no, not back then. Well, actually, one of not them by might today's be, standards. Not by today's standards. Um, I'll play this one song that she had that was. Um, Kind of a little bit suggestive. Orange. It sounds raunchy already. Yeah. Some really, really slutty horns. This it's is called stripper music, see? I want a tall, skinny pop is the name of the tone. <laughs> Welcome. Scissors of the thought. about you <laughs> i know <laughs> that's me <laughs> um so yeah i mean you, you can't go from talking about you know wanting christ to rock you in the bosom of his you know yeah and then talking, and then about, talking about tall skinny papa tall skinny papa um so i think her she didn't really have a lot that was kind of the one time in her career that she didn't have a lot of say and what she was singing because she signed a contract with uh, Lucky. Um, she so it's the age-old tale of woman signs record contract. <laughs> record company makes woman do slutty songs yep. until she can get mm-hmm. control of her own career. I mean, it's and literally like the story of every single of every female artist. Every single female artist. <laughs> but you know what's funny is she like smoothly was like, you know what? I'm not about this shit. And got out of there as soon as she could. Mm. I think she was only there for like, she was contracted to work with them for like three or four years. Uh, and she was still very successful, obviously, whether she was in the nightclubs or in the church. Everyone loved her. She was all over America. Um, and by the time she was 25, she was like one of the most popular 
uh, singers in the country. Um, she could perform wherever she wanted, whenever she wanted, where, and do whatever she wanted. She worked with everybody. She was one of the very few um, black performers who were able to um, perf- uh, pr- uh, record like these V discs, which were these like albums that they sent over to the troops. Uh, oh, so wow. she was one of the few people that like the African American like battalions got like records for, and she wow. uh, she was a massive hit in the community, massive hit. And it's really funny because uh, she even she worked with a lot of white uh, bands, and I wanted to play this little clip from an interview with a guy who uh, was in a group called the Jordanaires, who was uh, they're kind of like a white duop group, mm-hmm. um, and she uh, had them open for her once, and it was really fun. She was more or less a pioneer in asking us to even perform with her. She called us her, her four little white babies. <laughs> and I thought it was so cute, that, you know, that she referred to us as that, as, as that way. I thought that was just something I'll never forget. And we just loved to sing with her because when she started snapping her finger, man, and started singing on a tune, you couldn't help but sing. Oh, that's them singing. I know the first time we worked with her, they, they booked us. We went to the we went to the stage door, and some man came to the door, and uh, and we, one of us said, "Well, we are we are the Jordanaires," and he said, mm, "You you are the Jordanaires? Well, he said, this is going to be a surprise to our audience." <laughs> Sister Rosetta didn't tell him that we were white. <laughs> white. She booked white. Us. She didn't tell him we were white. I love the way people said white in, back in the day. Some people in Texas still say, <laughs> say like that. It's really yeah. like, white. 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 <laughs> Why am I saying what, what way? <laughs> um, oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So by that point in time, this is 40s, she's a big star, but she kind of becomes like a massive, like, like massive star uh, in 1945 with her first big hit, her first big solo hit. Because everything she had recorded up to then were kind of like with groups mm. or traveling around with the church. But her first like big massive like recording hit was uh, Strange Things Happen Every Day. Strange Things Happening Every Day. Uh, and it was actually the first gospel song on the Billboard R&B charts. And it went all the way to number two. Wow. Um, let me play a little bit. So like the first gospel song that crossed over into the mainstream R&B yep. charts. Uh, on, on, a, on a chart, yeah. Everything was still recorded in mono. It absolutely was. Just <laughs> right no down depth. the middle. Just right, right, right down the middle. Probably like one mic. All we hear, church, yeah. people say, we are in this holy way. There are strange things happening every day. On that last red judgment day, when they drive them all away, there are strange things happening every day. So that's uh that's like her first massive kind of like nationwide recording hit. Up until then she had been uh touring basically a lot and gained a lot of uh sort of fame off of that from like special like sort of live recordings and shit like that, but her specific like sort of studio performance that was that was her wow. her uh her first big hit and it was also kind of the one of the really the first rock and roll records of all time. The vo- I love her vocal on that because yeah. it's got this the way that people did vocals in that style up back then. It had this like whimsical, like very like conversational. Mm-hmm. Like 
it wasn't was about like hitting the yeah. notes exactly. Yeah. You could, there was like a lot of slipping and sliding and mm-hmm. and just yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you had to isolate those vocals, they would be kind of crazy. But um, yeah, it wasn't really about a, a perfect performance. It was about emotion. I mean, mm. and that's that is what if you think about. That's what rock and roll is. Even yeah, still exactly. to this day, is it's still very much so about like a raw output. Like you, yeah. not there aren't many people whom uh, whom are rock and roll singers that you would say have like beautiful tone or voices. I mean, like there are some obviously, but for the most part, like you don't need to have this like classically trained voice. Yeah, and the and like a uh, you know perfect pitch in order to do it. It's really just about like can you deliver these words and make me believe it. You know, yeah, um, and that that is rock and roll. And it's funny. There's a there's a quote that I wanted to put about um, uh, that someone said about her is that the fellows would look at her, and I don't know whether it was envy or what, but sometimes she would play rings around them. She was the only lady I knew that w- that could would pick a guitar, and the men would stand back in awe. And, yeah, sister Rosetta. You know, it's like <laughs> she was she was that bitch. You yeah. know, like she just was, and it's crazy because like she was so revolutionary in the sense that she could she could do the church thing and the club thing uh because nobody had ever been able to to transcend that divide mm. like even in even in white culture i mean mm. like no one had ever been able to to bridge that gap because you know what was in the church was in the church and what was in you know the streets was yeah. in the streets and that was just it yeah um so the kind it's of the puritanical foundation of our society. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little accent. That was great. <laughs> it's the puritanical foundation of our society. Um, so also, which now a, is like not even. I mean, there's especially in R and B. There's like, I mean, if you're an R and B singer, like you have one foot in the church. You like, always you do. can say you can sing some ho shit on a Monday, Absolutely. and be back in church on a Sunday. Hi, K. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tamar. <laughs> Hi, just about anybody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. Um, fucking uh, Kim Burrell. I mean, I guess both those feet in the church now or yeah. in the church basement. <laughs> <laughs> um, both those feet are in her mouth still <clears throat> so here's another thing that I didn't <clears throat> discover until this week about Sister Rosetta Tharp here's one thing <laughs> what um, is it she also liked to dip her toe in a little bit of ladies okay I mean who didn't really <laughs> exactly oh my um, god I love it so yeah, I mean she just was just her toe. Just I mean a little, a few things probably. <laughs> um, so she loved the ladies, uh, and despite the fact that she was married, uh, she regularly like got down in that department. And what? Yeah, I mean, so she had by this time been married and divorced twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what the crazy thing: like I didn't know so many people got divorced back in the day. Like I was, I mean, maybe just it was in like the musical community, but like, it just seemed to me like I was seeing all these people that were saying like, "Oh yeah, I got divorced." I mean, so for example, <laughs> one of the ladies that she shacked up with uh, was a lady named Marie Knight. Uh, Marie Knight is also a gospel singer. Um, she originally kind of got started with Signature Records. She was a member of this group called the Sunset Four. Uh, and she got, uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp fin- first got, att- found attention of her. Sister Rosetta Tharp first got attention to her uh, at uh, a show that she did with Mahalia Jackson. 
and then she heard her sing and then she invited her out on tour um and yeah i mean the crazy thing the great thing about that i read about i feel like this two, is a scene out of bessie i know it kind of reminds <laughs> me of that scene in the color purple when uh suge avery and mm. you know when that scene where they don't really show anything yeah I want them as part as as much as I love that movie. Mm. Oh, you know who needs to direct like the remake of that? Ava. Ava. <laughs> 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 uh, she just needs to direct everything. 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 Yeah, that would be so good. Yeah, be because so good. I mean we're getting totally off track, but yeah, the color purple was super lazy. It was the book was super lazy. Yeah, yeah. and then Steven Spielberg was. was like, mm, "Let's tell America's down the not game. ready." Yeah. I mean, and that it was just such a cop out. God, the eighties were just—they were almost cool. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so these two are dope because they could travel themselves, and they were their own band. Uh, because Marie played the piano and percussion. Marie was her it was lady her love. lady love. I'll play a song that the two of them did. Oh, okay. Uh, but they were real badass because she was. Scissor sisters, <laughs> never know how much I kissed you. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Up above my head Up above my head I hear music in the air I hear music in the air Now up above my head Up above my head You know I hear music in the air I hear music in the air Up above my head Up above my head I hear music in the air I hear music in the air And I really do believe I really do believe There's a heaven somewhere Now that's how you mm. sing a goddamn song. <laughs> In case you were wondering, um, I mean, wow, that's that's cool. You know, yeah. Uh, so those two went on tour for a while. They were they were just killing it, touring around, playing their music. Mm. Like I said, they were kind of their own band because Marie played the piano and percussion, and uh, Rosetta held it down also on the piano and the guitar. So they supported themselves. They didn't need anybody wow. to go with them. Yeah, uh, which was. Uh, literally unheard of for any for woman yeah. at that point in time this is again like i said in the the late 40s um there was no one yeah doing this uh specifically no women doing this uh and yeah i mean women weren't even in the workplace no no they were barely there they're barely there yeah. and she's commanding stages and has legions of fans and she's super wealthy very famous uh, she had become so popular by the end of the 40s um, that, uh, well, let me backtrack real quick. Her kind of, her affair with Marie ended uh, in the, the late 40s because Marie's two children were killed in an accident and she went mm. home to deal with that because uh, she didn't want to be Shit. on the road, obviously. Um, and they... What kind of an accident? I think it was a car accident. Mm. Um but by that point in time, Rosetta had become a big deal, and she ended up staging her own wedding to this random dude. Uh, that staging, sta- like she, she put on a wedding at mm-hmm. a baseball stadium in Washington D.C. What? <laughs> yeah, and it was entirely sold out. 
It was a sold it out was a ceremony she, slash she concert. Had, you get tickets to her yeah, wedding. She got married. <clears throat> she got married, and they had a concert afterwards, and it was sold out. Playing, shredding on a electric guitar in a big ass white uh, wedding dress, and on like home field <laughs> on a home plate, just going nuts. And just her recording of her wedding uh-huh. was a number one hit. <laughs> That's how extra she was. <laughs> Oh my God! She was just what? like it would probably behoove me to get married. So let me—if I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna get married the way I want to. And she was just kind of over the top. She in was general. the original Kim Kardashian. She absolutely was. She was like, I'm gonna um, sell tickets to this wedding. She sure did. She got that money, diversified <laughs> that portfolio. You know what I'm saying? Uh, she stayed paid. Oh Mama stayed God. paid. You know what I'm saying? And wow. uh, she—the her wedding was on the cover of Ebony magazine uh, and everything else, but. It's crazy because another story was said that uh, there was a there's a, a biographer named Gail Ward who wrote a book about uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp. I cannot remember the name of the book. It's like Sister Rosetta Tharp, like the unknown queen of rock and roll or some shit like that. Look it up. Gail Ward. I'll post it on Gail. Twitter or something. Um, but she she found some of the singers contemporaries that were like want, that were down to like talk about uh her some of her like sexual shenanigans mm-hmm. and stuff like oh. that off the record though oh obviously but off the record but on on tape obviously um <laughs> but one of the musicians that she knew claimed to like find rosetta in bed with two ladies um during their during her honeymoon tour which was a tour <laughs> that she did after uh her wedding so uh, these gentlemen were probably just beards Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. one of the I'm going to read this expert excerpt from the book that I found to be really great and pretty powerful about um about Rosetta and like why um the way in which she handled her sexuality because she wasn't necessarily like quiet about it was said that the circulation of this and the lore indicated that the gospel world had its own legends of outlaw identities and behaviors of sissy men and bulldagger women, of philandering evangelists and pilfering prophets of hypocrites who boozed up backstage before singing in front of the curtain about the virtues of holy living. For homosexuals in her audience, rumors about Rosetta's sexuality might have been liberating, an invitation to look for telltale signs of affirmation of their own veiled existence. Mm. And wow. like that... There's a lot of through lines with Little Richard as well. I know. Yeah, it's, it's and, crazy. And that's always something that... You know, I grew up in the church. Me too. And you did, and <laughs> so did a lot of... Um, a lot homosexuals. of homosexuals, yeah, and, a lot of queer people in general. Yeah. yeah, and there was definitely like this sort of. It's a bit of like a don't ask, don't tell yeah. scenario. I mean, think about like James Cleveland, for example, mm. like whom was like the the biggest star of of gospel music uh, in America for you know the sixties, seventies, eighties, who ended up dying of AIDS, mm. and it was looked at in this shameful sense. Uh, in general, and still a lot of people like to brush him out of out of gospel history mm. and don't give him the propers that he's due because he was this closeted uh, queer man uh, in a in a in an industry and specifically in a genre uh, that did not support it. Uh, and it's it's a real bummer uh, because the gospel music is comprised of so many uh, queer people whom. Uh, like every single choir director. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! I mean, I don't want to say that. Uh, but let's go for like seven out of ten. Seven out of ten for sure. I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a bummer because uh, the the amount of music and and joy uh, that they have been able to provide millions of people uh, whom uh, struggled for just freedom for so many years has uh, it, it's kind of goes unnoticed, and it's a real shame that like even to this day, um, it's it's still not celebrated. Mm. Um, and I think that's just, that's a challenge for everybody to be less of a piece of shit um, and be yeah. more loving and, and act in love and speak in love and be in love. But you Don't know, whatever. I know. Um, anyhow. So she, like I said, became this, this gigantic deal um, by the fifties, uh, which is when white people found rock music mm-hmm. uh, and obviously took it. Uh, raped and pillaged it so late 50s roll around or the mid 50s roll around she kind of wanes in popularity in the united states uh because uh, r&b and country are becoming a bigger thing Mm. and rock and roll became this this like thing that like young white kids liked and i think maybe the 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 work that people like rosetta did to kind of make that sound more popular in a mainstream secular sense kind of moved black people away from it um Mm. but meanwhile uh whilst white people are going nuts for elvis and and people like that in the late 50s um rosetta like people in the uk Mm. uh, oh the uk will always they'll always see people yeah (laughs) they're like oh they're done with you over there oh well we still love you yeah and so they were like instead of you know like the youngsters in america being like you know oh my god who's elvis they were like, who was Elvis listening to? Mm. Uh, because, you know, they were smarter than that and just realized that they didn't come up with this shit. Yeah. Um, so in the 60s, she becomes like a big deal <laughs> in the in Europe and in the UK. And she kind of is able to have a second birth of her career there. There's a couple. There's one particular performance uh, that I, which is the first time I ever saw Sister Rosetta Tharp, uh, was the first video that I ever saw of her. Um, and I'm going to play it right now. And the people are so sweet to stay oh, here. And I come in on a... Yeah. Let me tell you what I come in on. This is her in 1964. Mm. Oh, She's, yeah. you know, a, a around 45, 50 years old by this point in time. Uh, and still killing it. in this video I love because she's like she's wearing like this little old church lady like outfit with like her little kitten heels she sure is <laughs> she's wearing like a house coat she really is she just looks like somebody's grandma who's got like lots of treats in her bra <laughs> Wow. She really has commanded that guitar. That, oh, she does. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to see, like, <clears throat> it's rare that you see a woman, even to this day, which is kind of a bummer, 
uh, on like a popular stage play guitar the way she did. Mm. Like just it it's an extension of her arm. Uh, and it, it's crazy because uh, she was just the first person who ever did that male mm. or female to like command a guitar in the way like she did. Like mm. no one had done that before. She like woman handled that guitar. She did. She woman handled yeah. that guitar. Um, I mean, I've just seeing that performance and it just had me thinking about um, Alabama Shakes a lot. Yeah. And I think like, oh my Brittany God, she Howard, must have been just like, yes, they, such a huge influence on I, her. It's crazy. I, I was looking up to see if I could find any like, any conversa- any like interviews that Brittany Howard might have said about that. I mean, yeah. I read that she had said that she was an influence, but it's so crazy because they bring that up because I remember the first time I heard Alabama Shakes, that's the first thing I thought was yeah. like, Oh my God! I have not heard a woman do this or seen a woman that do this guttural, that like, guttural just thing. Deep, Ugh. like yeah. I remember when I saw so them uh, tour for their last record, Sound and Color. Such uh, a great album! Unbelievable album! Unbelievable! If you're not mm. gotten into it, do it! Oh my God! Um, it really is. It really is just like I heard her do. I heard her, and I hadn't hadn't listened to it yet. And I went to go see the show because uh, I I just. I, with the with that band in particular, I just think they're just way better to experience live. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen them live, but uh, I imagine that they would be. Oh my god! Yeah, they're so I good. Out. I'm missing out. She had. They have this song called uh, uh, "I'm in Over My Head," mm-hmm. and that is the closest thing to like a religious experience that music has given me in a long time. And I still remember it because I was like, "This is how music is supposed to make you feel." Like, to see somebody, like, perform something that you feel something so strongly that you're like, they mean every single fucking word they're saying right mm. now. That was her. And then that was Sister Rosetta Tharp, too. Uh, and it's it's a rare it's a rare find uh, to have that nowadays. And it's crazy because, you know, like, in general, uh, rock and roll has uh, got a, uh, it's got a history of a lot of diverse people. Um, but it's usually very much so focused on men mm-hmm. usually white almost yeah. always heterosexual yeah um and they don't really make much room for women or for queer people or for you know uh people like sister rock Rosetta. and roll is or was what now edm has become absolutely where it's just like kind of a white boys club yeah but it really that's not where it's not where it starts and that's and what we talked about on our last episode la- yeah and for this, yeah it's true yeah and for this black this like black bisexual christian woman to be <laughs> like the queen of every the, the the originator of everything that these you know like little fuck boys and girls uh want to say is theirs is it's it's an important thing for everyone to, I think, realize and to celebrate and to and to recognize. Um, it's actually really funny. There would she be was, no Nickelback. <laughs> there would be. So we have to thank Sister Rosetta Tharp for that too. Um, but it's funny because she was actually married to her last husband, who was her manager as well for twenty five years up until I think by the time she died, uh, she ended up. Uh, she died in the the seventies uh, from di- complications from diabetes. She had to have her leg amputated and everything mm. else like that too. Um, I'm going to play this little clip from one of the last performances that she ever did. And to make matters worse, she was diagnosed with diabetes. I'm going to sing a song that maybe you wouldn't understand it, and maybe you do. A song that I love so dearly. And I have so many friends here in Copenhagen. For many, many years I've been coming here. 
And then sometime my friends... Made in 1970 oh, in Denmark. This is the last known recording of Sister Rosetta performing. Maybe you wouldn't understand that, but someone died who they dearly love. And mine did too. My mother died two years ago and left me alone. But nevertheless, I have you. I went to see her and she had this black spot on her foot. I said, Sister, what is that? And she said, I don't know. I said, Sister, go see about that, please. That arm hurt them. That's going to happen. But there is a divine power. I believe it. I don't know about you, but I got to believe it because I was raised that way. I sing this song. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on and let me stand. I'm tired, you know, work so hard, and I'm weak. My body is worn. Oh, 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 oh yes, but I got to go anyhow. She wouldn't listen to anybody. She, that was the last known recording of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Mm. Um, wow. And Still sounded amazing. Still sounded amazing. Her voice definitely deepened. Absolutely. Um, as a lot of us do as we yeah. get older. It's, it's crazy. She, um, she maintained a very, very, very close relationship with her mother. Uh, her entire life mm. she had been on the road literally her whole life from four years old uh whole time with her, mom. With her mother um and even through all the lesbian shenanigans even through all the lesbian shenanigans you know what mama doesn't see doesn't hurt her i guess mm. um but uh her mother died in 1968 um she was diagnosed with uh diabetes the following year uh and by the time that she died in 1973 uh, she had kind of largely been um, forgotten by a lot of people in the United States. And I think just recently people have kind of started to uh, under like and by recently, I mean, literally in the last like 10 years, 10, mm. 15 years, kind of really give her any sort of credit. Uh, obviously, still not even within the rock and roll community, because like I said, she's still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> she she was this woman who was, like, outspoken and pushed music in a direction in which it had never been before and did it all on her own terms and her, the own way that she wanted to. And she deserves, like, she deserves, like, the the attention and the, uh, the praise and the accolades that she, she, that she, she needs her propers in general. Mm. I mean, so many musicians that are important have credit her as an influence. Like I said, there's, like you mentioned, Little Richard, um, Johnny Cash said that she was his favorite singer and his guitar influence. Um, specifically, she's got a song called That's All. It was mentioned by both Chuck Berry and uh, Elvis Presley as one of their early influences. Uh, Aretha Franklin, Jerry Lee Lewis, Isaac Hayes, all of them say that they wouldn't be anything without her. Mm. Uh, and all of those names are people that are very important to rock and roll. Absolutely. Um, and for mm. them to all universally say, 
we wouldn't be who we are without her means that uh, she is that. She is that one. Mm. Uh, and not only was she the one who was coming up with it, but she was the one who made it popular. Uh, and she's the one who spread it. And she's the one that, like, introduced that sound that inspired the people like Elvis to do what he did. Mm. Uh, and even people like the Beatles and different things like that, too. So, yeah, that's Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yes. Um, I'll put a bunch of other songs Her on the playlist. Story. And you should definitely look into it just because, like, she's... There's also a really great documentary that the BBC did that also was, like, a PBS, NPR kind of uh, thing can't remember exactly what it's called but they have the whole thing on youtube i watched it and it was really 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 enlightening and really like really um empowering in a lot of ways and mm. <clears throat> you should look into it so yeah that's it's on I youtube can, if it's you just YouTube. put in like sister rosetta sister Tharp. rosetta tharp documentary cool um, yeah so get into it um uh, there'll be a few more songs i didn't there. know a lot of that stuff yeah. i certainly didn't know about the lady shenanigans <laughs> um Everybody's and, a little bit gay, you know that. Well, there is a scale. Yeah. Well, this next artist certainly was a little bit gay. In fact, he was a whole lot of gay. Oh. In fact, he was a whole lot of a whole lot of things. <laughs> That's I right. legit don't know Girl, anything about like, Little Richard. <laughs> little Richard. So um, I was at my friend PJ, PJ's house the other day. And um, hi PJ, hi PJ, and um, he had this book, The Life and Times of Little, Little Richard. Richard, and it's this crazy cover. And um, I was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna do Little Richard on the podcast. And he's like, Well, you definitely do not do it without reading this book. <laughs> so I've had, you know, I've been in bed with a cold. Mm-hmm. I could not put this book down. It is the great. It's literally He's, the craziest book yeah. I have ever read in my life. Yeah, he, Sam sent me. You sent me this uh, <laughs> like an this screenshot, and I was I was literally on the phone with somebody, and I was reading it, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, I mean, what? It's just like the book is so Bananas. crazy. It's like it's so it's it's a it's a biography and yeah. it's it's a um did he do is it autobiography or it's is a, it like it's a fully um like what's the word not licensed but it's like a um authorized an authorized biography so okay. and he a lot of most of it is just like tape recordings like yeah. transcripts of him of course and so then it's he tied together with yeah. yeah most of it is just him talking yeah. and saying outrageous things yeah just totally over the top I this was like his mariah carey like oh it's way <laughs> way <laughs> crazier than that like okay let's get into let's it let's get into it so little richard um <clears throat> is known as the god godfather of rock and roll um but as we know like he came out like after you know yeah. sister rosetta thup and yeah. even other people but she, you know like i said she was his favorite singer yeah well um, she was around before she was around before rock and roll was even a thing she was yeah like he was more so instrumental like once when, rock, it, when it was when like it jumping off, off when it yeah. was like this is what this sound is yeah so he so this little richard is most famously known for Tutti Fruity. Obviously. She rock to the west, but she's the girl that I love best. 
So I I don't <clears throat> What exactly is Tutti Fruity? <laughs> I will get to that. Okay. There is a whole story <laughs> about is? that. Okay, yeah. I'm excited to know. Um, more. But what I wanted to say about Little Richard before I get into like his life is that um he's one of the absolute most influential artists of all time. 100%. In, you know, in our time. Yeah. And there would be Absolutely no Beatles without nope. him. There would be no Rolling Stones. There would be no Elvis. There would be no Prince. There would be, there no, would be no Michael Jackson. There would, be, there would be no Lady Gaga. Nope. Little Richard was the first recording artist ever to use strobe lights. What? On stage. No way. And 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 like flashing lights. Yeah. He was the first one to do like a fucking light show. Wow. Like Daft Punk. Would not exist without <laughs> all Little your Richard. faves would no long would not be a thing. They'd be they'd be nowhere. Like it'd be like in Back to the Future when they would just like dissolve yeah. in the photograph. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. They just if, wouldn't be if here. Little Richard wasn't if he wasn't, wasn't born. If his gay ass wasn't prancing all over that goddamn stage. Yeah, I mean he he was just so flamboyant and such like a huge character, mm-hmm. and um, so he he was in he was actually one of the first people inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yes. when it started in 1986. He's received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Recording Academy, also known as the Grammys. The Whammies, more like it. Um, he was born... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a bad Which one. also, David Bowie just won his first Grammy. Are you shitting me? His first ever Grammy, posthumously. He, oh, my God. I know. The, why does anybody still pay attention to this this fucking award, man? You don't even you don't even give. I'm sorry. Let's talk about Little Richard. We still do. We I don't know do. why. Um, Little so Richard cute. was born in in Macon, Georgia, um, like in the deep south. Like this is about an hour from Atlanta and mm-hmm. an hour from Alabama. So mm-hmm. um, he was born in 1932. He is the third elv- eldest of twelve children. Damn, so, yeah, his parents had a lot they of babies. Busy. They were busy. <laughs> um, his dad was a um, boot, like a moonshine bootleg, bootleg salesman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but he he grew up in a super religious family from the church as mm-hmm. well. Like his um, his mother was a preacher, his cousin was a preacher, and um, his uncle was a preacher. So he grew up, you know, very much involved in the church and started singing in the church when he was a kid. His name was actually um, Ricardo Wayne. <laughs> Ricardo Wayne. But they fucked up the birth certificate. And they just called him Richard. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so that became his name. Why not? Um, he was an extremely mischievous child. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Like the shenanigans just... Endless. Like, like he... I want to encourage everybody, if nothing else, because there's so much in his life to go into. Like, it's yeah. just like, even it his works. Wikipedia page is just like so, 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 so long. Yeah. Because there were so many things that happened and so many like important moments. moments. But so if you take anything from this, please pick up this book. Life and just get your entire Richard. life. You will just be gagging the whole time. <laughs> you won't be able to put it down. I haven't finished it, by the way. Yeah. But... That's, yeah. I just couldn't put it down. Yeah, I need to read it. We'll you really do. It. Yeah. Everybody needs to That's read right. it. Right. And and um, John. Um, oh my Paul God. Paul McCartney. No. 
Um, John Waters. John Waters. <laughs> he just. <laughs> I was doing like a pencil mustache. <laughs> John Waters. I'll get to John Waters later too because he's he's part of the story. But he said it. John Waters said yeah. it's the craziest most shocking autobiography he's ever read <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know John, he's and you know he's crazy no he'd be reading you know, some he's, nasty he's, shit he's read some nasty <laughs> shit um so yeah i just encourage everyone to read it it's just crazy but he talks about as a child like shitting in jars and hiding them in his mother's <laughs> cupboards he would poop in a box and give it to the old lady down the street and then run around the corner and he said like i brought you a gift and um <laughs> He would wrap it up all nice in a bow and then run around the corner to hear her reaction. What a little fucking He was such devil. a little dipshit. Ugh. But also, like, that kind of thing with, like, um, what do they call it? Like, scat- scatological. Scat yeah. It's very common amongst children that are, like, sexually abused. Really? Yeah, it's very, very common. Wow, I did not know so, that. And also, like, in his story, there's a lot of, like, very, very weird sexual things that took place. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe something like that yeah. is part of his story. Probably. He was very, very effeminate. Oh, he was born with one leg that was shorter than the other. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he used to get teased a lot and made fun of. He was mm-hmm. called faggot, sissy, you know, you name it. You name it. Um, you name it, <laughs> sissy fag. <laughs> no, let's queer. not. <laughs> yeah, queer. Yeah. Um, and he used to like hang out with a bunch of like you know as a teenager, um, like sissy boys mm-hmm. in the neighborhood in Macon, Georgia. Um, and Georgia, by the way, there's a lot of gays in Georgia. Oh, I mean, has anyone ever been to Atlanta? Yeah, Atlanta is gay. <laughs> it's it's gayer than it's LA. It's real gay. Which is like pretty, I mean, LA's pretty gay. But LA's very like white gay. It is very white gay. Um, Atlanta has a lot more black gays. That is true. It's and, a whole different turn up down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of church gays. A lot of them. A lot, a lot of, of choir directors. Gays. Yeah. A lot of choir directors. <laughs> but um, so he was kind of in like used to hang run around with all these gay kids in the neighborhood, and um, they would kind of like I wouldn't use the word prostitution, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but yes, prostitution. but yes, that. <laughs> um, he said that like these white dudes used to roll up in their cars and like ask them for blowjobs. Um, he also talked about in this book about um, women like force, like kind of raping him as yeah, a child, yeah. like adult, you know, grown women. Yeah. So there's a lot of crazy sexual stuff in this book that's Jesus. going on that he's very, very transparent about. Yeah. This book is like the opposite of R. Kelly's Solar Coaster book, <sighs> where he just talks about nothing, nothing. that anyone's interested in. Yeah. yeah like this and is, this is like the way too much information. All the tea. Yeah. So when did this book come out? In 1984. Four or 1987. Wow. I want, yeah, like in the 80s. Um, so he was having a lot of problems at home and school, and um, he ended up dropping out and joining like a, a traveling medicine show. What does that mean? So, you know, those dudes back in the day that used to like ride into town on a wagon and like oh, sell yeah, snake yeah, oil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, little Richard left his i think he was a teenager Mm -hmm. and he left his uh little life and joined dr hudson's medicine show in 1948 traveling around Uh, so he would have been 14 years old 
and he was singing on that tour and he sang. I don't have the recording of him singing it because I don't know the one exists. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it doesn't. But this is the song by B.B. King um, called Caledonia. So he was on the road singing this song. Very much in the time of blues. Yeah. only song that has a long intro. Really? <laughs> Walking with my babe, she got great big feet. Long, lean, and Lincoln ain't had nothing to eat, but she's my baby. And I love her just the same. I just wanted to give you a taste of the song. That recording's from like 2000 and something, mm-hmm. so it's not indicative of, of records from that time. R.I.P. to B.B. R.I.P. B.B. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he said it was like the first secular r&b song he learned to play so then he started traveling around and touring with other people he joined um, buster brown's orchestra and that was when he first started using the name little richard um and here's a little taste of um, buster brown the song's called fanny may And no, it's not about your mortgage. Or your vagina. (laughs) A lot of these records were remastered in stereo. Because I was about to say, this sounds like super stereo. Yeah. So that's who he was on tour with. Yeah. Then in 1950, um, he began performing. This, I had, did not know any of this stuff. He started touring with these like kind of folly groups as a drag performer what? named Princess Lavon. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you even believe Are you it? Are real? I'm, I'm, Do they have photos of this? They don't have any of the... Well, basically his whole life he was in drag. He wasn't, I mean, like the man wore ma- more makeup than like... Just about anybody else. Anybody nowadays. Um, but yeah, he was a drag... He was on tour singing blues and, and gospel and stuff, but dressed in up in... Yeah, in drag. Way to go. Um, and because of his one short leg, um, he couldn't really... Like they didn't... And he didn't know how to walk in heels... And especially because he had one short leg, they would prop him up dressed in drag and then open the curtain. So he would never walk. It's kind of like a Mariah Carey show. You never see them walk in heels. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how short was his leg? Well, I guess later in life, I mean, I'm only assuming this, that he had some sort of like lift put in. Yeah. I I really can't say. I'm still trying to find this Princess Levon shit. It's L O V. Sorry, L A V O double N E. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I had no idea. 
Um, also, he talks about going to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. There's a re- read this fucking book, everybody. Everybody, just go and get it. Get it to it. You'll you will not be disappointed. He talks about in 1950 going to Atlanta and hanging out with all the sissies, and yeah. he said all the homosexuals. Also, he said no one is born gay; it's contagious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Um, he talks about going to Atlanta and hanging out with all the sissies in Atlanta in 1950, and how they all called each other Miss Thing and Honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Wow! I, mean, I was like, like wow, that goes saying, back. Yeah, another another moment in Black history. <laughs> <laughs> we know where it came from. Check the receipts. Check the receipts. Miss Thing. Well, Richards got him. Honey. honey, and because also I remember as a child him saying honey a lot. He like said he Miss Thing a lot too. And sugar. Yeah, and uh, when he was in a, a Rookie of the Year, do you remember when he in the movie when uh, he the kid who played the Rick? This is a, a deep like an eighties right movie. Now. It was an early nineties movie. He, he did have kid. a second career and he was had, like in movies a lot. Oh yeah, he had his a Pepsi commercial, a big Pepsi oh, yeah. commercial in like the like late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Did one of the say? kids do it. I think he said Miss Thing. Yeah. He said honey a couple times. He used I'm to like, call what? everybody honey. Yeah. He's like, oh honey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was like totally his shtick. Yeah. So that that I guess that's been around a long time, Miss Thing. Yes. Um so in nineteen yeah, so he was on he was a drag performer. Um about this time little Richard began listening to more R and B at the time and was frequenting a lot of Atlanta clubs where he witnessed Roy Brown and more importantly Billy Wright. Billy Wright was a big R and B singer at the time, very flamboyant, big personality, and he was one of um Little Richard's biggest influences. And actually they became friends. Mm-hmm. Um but he was he was older than than little Richard, but here's a little taste of Billy. The song is called Married Woman's Blues. <laughs> if you talk too much, I know you're bound to lie. <laughs> well, I'm lonesome now, but I won't be lonesome long. Well, I'm lonesome now, but I won't be lonesome long. Look for me, baby, have my bag and go. <laughs> These lyrics. Oh man! <laughs> don't talk me to death because I don't want to die. <sighs> Woo! Um, so like I said, he eventually bef- befriended Billy Wright um, in Atlanta during a performance, and in 1951, Wright put Little Richard in contact with his manager, Zenus Sears, and who was a local DJ. Um, back then the, the local DJs had a lot of affiliation with record companies and they would sort of, this guy especially would feed talent directly locally. He was really in touch with local talent and he 
had a relationship with RCA Records and he would basically tell them who to sign or they would sign stuff because he would play it. Uh They know he would play it. Um, Little Richard recorded, um, he'd heard of Little Richard and he was like, oh, why don't we make like an eight side uh, record and I'll play it. So this was how he got his first little local hit, which was like in Georgia um, and, and I'm sure around that local area, maybe like Alabama too. Um, his first hit was called Every Hour and it was very different than the stuff that was to come later. But this was like a local hit for him. very famous for like his kind of high yeah. voice yeah that's pretty kind of like middle register for him yeah like, and really slow yeah and very slow yeah. this was bef- like i said before which i didn't say but like i would have said if i had said <laughs> this was before <laughs> really rock and roll yeah it was still kind of r&b time yeah. and and tempo um but yeah so he was like 18 at that time maybe 19 wow. years old little baby richard um, they started, you know, they, they, that got a lot of play on the radio. It was a local hit, but then nothing else, um, really caught on mm-hmm. from that recording session. And so they ended up, RCA Records dropped him probably like about a year after that, 1952. The, the rest of the record was like failing and he wasn't really getting a follow up. So he, oh, and then at this time also his father was killed in a confrontation Outside like of the club, yeah, he was shot. Oh wow! By a guy, and this is this was in the book too. His father was, his father kind of threw him out of the house because he was a little fag. <coughs> Bless you. That was a cop, right? <laughs> that was a cop. His father threw him out of the house because of his like sissiness. Yeah. Um, but when he started getting played on the radio. His mm-hmm. father was like, oh, my son's on the radio. Come back into my home. Yeah. So he had just started getting his father's approval. And then his father was shot and killed mm-hmm. um, by a guy that they knew. And they mentioned him in the book. But um, he was the the local um, DA dropped the charges. They didn't what? even pursue the case. Was it because they were black? And most, I mean, I'm assuming Probably, yeah. they were like, oh, we don't really need to, you know. Um, another dead Negro? Yeah. Who gives a fuck? So yeah. they didn't do anything about it. The guy never went to trial. It never even went to trial. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. It's really shitty. It's really shitty. Um, but he said that At least he got guy, to get closer before he died, you know? Yeah, he kind of got his dad's approval. His, um, He also talked about the cops used to come to his house and, like, try and find the moonshine. But his oh, yeah, dad, yeah, yeah, they would yeah. like pull the covers off the kids. And, you know, there was 12 kids in the house. That's a lot of kids. Um, but the dad knew sort of where to hide the moonshine. He would hide it in the neighbor's. Like yeah. he, he would hide it under her greens in the <laughs> like neighbor's in the garden. Gr- oh, nice. And she was cool with it. Yeah. 
But well, she's probably she's probably sipping taking off a little. Bro, I hope so. I would definitely cut her like what five ten percent. Like she, she um. So the guy that shot his dad actually came back like in the sixties to ask the family for forgiveness, and he said, "And we forgave him." So, yeah, but I bet that happened a lot then. I mean, what else could you do? Black on black crime. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, um, oh, also by this time, he was he was never really playing the piano before this. Okay, he, I was, that was a question I had, because, like, in none of these songs you said he was with, like, the people that he was playing with beforehand, like... The, yeah, he was just a singer. Just a singer. He learned how to play boogie-woogie piano from a teenage musician called Escarita. Escarita. Who was... Um, a, a female impersonator. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And the name Escarita apparently was an embellishment of the guy's real name, which was S.Q. Reader. And he changed it to Escarita. Escarita. So. Yo soy Escarita. Yo soy Escarita. Well, so that's how he learned. He learned from a drag queen a how drag to play queen. piano. <laughs> a drag queen named Escarita. At around this time, he. Um, made a, a like a two song demo on a tape yeah. that he sent to specialty records um who were like like a up and coming um rock and roll blues like uh record label yeah um they only you know had black artists on this yeah. label and they signed him and he recorded his first hit with them which was on Tutti Fruity but at the time uh, the original lyric. Oh, he used to sing "Tutti Fruity" in his in his nightclub act. Yeah. But it was really vulgar, and he was like, "Oh, I'm never gonna record this because no one's ever gonna like they're never gonna play this on the radio." Yeah. So they hired a a songwriter named Dorothy. Um, this is about to be some like, fucking like truffle butter shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> they hired this songwriter called Dorothy Labostri. Was this who, also a drag queen? No, this was a biological woman. <laughs> oh, no way. Who? This is the first in this story. <laughs> she's a biological woman who um, rewrote the lyrics to the song. Because the original lyrics are tutti fruity, good booty. Oh, my God. If it don't fit, don't stretch it. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Those are the original lyrics. So Miss Dorothy came in and made it more commercial. Um, I'm sorry. If it don't fit, don't, don't stretch, stretch it. it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Little I mean, good what? advice. Good advice, for sure. But, like, God damn. And a little even, Richard was some, he was freaky. Was freak, I mean, even to for today's standards for <laughs> somebody to be singing. <laughs> like... I'm sorry, sis. Can we just like can we talk about that lyric? It's just a little crass. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. That's really funny. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. I'd always wondered what Tutti Fruity meant. And maybe they kept it off the internet from young flying eyes for such a reason. There wasn't a rap they, that's why Rap Genius doesn't have anything on it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Gosh. It's pretty crazy. Um, the the song Tutti Fruity came out. It became an absolute smash. smash. Like yeah. every radio station was playing it. Yeah. Black, white, it didn't matter. Didn't matter. It was like a huge crossover hit. Yeah. 
every club wanted it. Like every little Becky wanted yeah, to hear it and yeah. like cream her panties. Yeah. Um, and it sold a million copies like really right quickly. Yeah. The second follow up um, also sold a million copies um, and it was his first to reach number one on the R&B chart. Um, it was called um, Long Tall Sally. I just feel like I can't even now I just question every lyric I've ever heard. Like I'm sitting here thinking like what who is, is Sally? Who what is Sally? Is Sally. Especially this bald headed Sally is she, that he mentioned. Sally and who is she to you? I who is Sally and who is she to you? Exactly. <laughs> I want answers. Yeah. Oh. I know. That's it's just such crazy. a good song though. I mean That's like, a great song, and that's also one of his like most recognizable songs. But like no one hollered on a track like that, you yeah. know? Like that's just it's just funny, like when you compare people like Lil Richard or you know sister to you know people earlier than that, you know like the Ellas and the Billies and the yeah the Louis Armstrongs, like they all had a little bit of soul, but like nobody like was, they were like they were trained vocalists and just yeah. like these scratching were like, up yeah these were they were they were They're screaming. screaming yeah they were screaming ah and it's crazy because that that just kind of captures this like post World War II like youthful like the world is ours kind of vigor yeah. and this energy that everyone kind of had. Yeah. Uh, it was a whole new sound. A whole new sound. I mean, imagine before that, like the way people were sort of dancing in clubs was very like, just sort of slowly two-stepping around, like, you know, there was, an arm there was, on the you, shoulder, you, you, and arm on the waist. You learned how to dance. It was like, a, that was exactly, it was, yeah. it was a process. There was a, there was a, um, a mechanics to it. Yeah. But. And there was certain like, um, there was a certain decorum and like uh, manners and yeah. like certain things you didn't didn't did and did not do in yeah. public, especially in white nightclubs. Absolutely. Um, but it's crazy because like to that comparison, for people like Little Richard, whom grew up in the church, singing there, where you know mm. there was this freedom of movement and expression mm. when it came down to music and that that type of energy and that kind of just like do the what spirit. your body tells you, the yeah. spirit. Of that music and and letting that be uh, like manifested within you physically, like that is that is what the heart of rock and roll is. Mm. It is just that kind of freedom to just like go nuts, yeah, and like feel your body, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so this is what started that craze of like you know people swinging and like swing dancing. Yeah, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the album, the first record he he um, did with Specialty Records had nine hits on it. Um, nine hits in the U.S. and five in Britain. Um, and most of his early recordings, 
actually inspired covers by there was Pat Boone who did Tutti Fruity and like had a huge hit with that for white people. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elvis Presley and Bill Haley they were all covering Little Richard songs from this album. Um, his success made him a millionaire, and in 1956 he moved to Los Angeles and bought himself a big mansion on the West Side. Of course. Um, he was living it up. You know, he had a fierce Cadillac or something. Oh, he absolutely did. It was probably like fluffy. Had yeah. like some like really nice shag carpeting. Yeah. It's, and also, we haven't really talked about his style, too, because we like, haven't even no, touched on that. I mean, no one had his style anything like him. No one had colors. No one was wearing color like that. Yeah. Nobody. He had like falsies on his eyelashes. He never, had like penciled never, in brows. Never had a never had a uh, like a an unbeat face. Oh, he was beat, not once to beat the house down. Down, <laughs> down several floors, several stories. Yeah, I mean, just like had a. And sh- the makeup brand that he wore was actually called like Pancake Thirty Two or something like that. I don't think anyone actually knows what Lil Richard's actual skin tone is. I don't think I've seen it before. I mean, he's got like that strong kind of like. Uh, Nestle chocolate milk complexion, mm-hmm. and then like a really crispy, charcoaled on eyebrow. Yep, strong brow. You know that uh, what's that Maybelline mascara with the pink and green? Uh, just a strong brow, a strong lash, <laughs> strong lash, a pencil thin mustache, tiny little skinny ass mustache, and just beat down. And also, let's not forget to talk about just the glorious press and curl that man rocked mm. on a regular. He had a huge hair stayed pomp. laid, stayed yeah. laid. Not once was it not. Yeah. I, I, I was, when you were talking about uh, Princess Levon, I was just trying to find <laughs> photos of her. Did you find any? I did find one. <gasps> no. I did. Uh, oh my God, Princess Levon. And. Um, I was like, God damn, he just, his hair was always kind of nuts. Yeah, his hair was crazy. And he always, you know, he was like famous for wearing like beautiful, oh my God. But that just looks like little Richard. Well, I mean, <laughs> not far off. I, I mean, it can we just call him Princess Levon? Yeah, let's call him Princess Levon from now on. Because obviously, like, if it worked, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And yeah. Got success with that look. Yeah. Well, there's another one of Princess Levon. I mean, there was no one that looked like that. Yeah. Still, I mean, really. Still, I, mean, I mean, you can also see like how heavily Prince was influenced by that look. 100%. Rick James, Prince, you know. I mean. And, and he kind of originated the idea of like the clo- the higher the hair, the closer to Jesus. Mm. I mean, in general. He is... made this sort of like femininity, yeah. really. And oh my God, women would go crazy for him. Absolutely. Young I mean, girls were like literally screaming everywhere he went wanting to have sex with him. And he was just had zero interest. Um. Speaking of sex. It's also crazy, too. Like, just that level, like you were just saying, of androgyny that he was able to, like, put onto a platform, which is, like, you know, kind of like you said, uh, Prince took a lot of cues from that. Uh, Michael took some cues from it. Just as kind of, like, drawing on those those bits of uh, femininity as sort of, I don't know, just, like, it sexualizes performances like and it charges them in a different way and mm. I think it really set the tone for how rock and roll, even so to this day, is experienced. I mean, like there's so many people that still kind of move about a stage and, and hold themselves and, and sing in a way in which would have was which was which before then as a man was deemed effeminate and and un- inappropriate and mm. he just was like, nah, this is what I'm gonna do and made that shit so popular. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, before like Elvis was banned from TV for like wiggling his hips or some basic yeah. shit like that. He was or talking about sticking a dick in somebody's asshole. <laughs> exactly. He was. And <laughs> so he had relationships with women and he actually got married. Women. Like, no, like biological women. <laughs> but he would um, like have, they would have sex with other men and he would watch. Oh, so he was into cucking, cuckolding. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was like into cuckold. He was like a voya. Oh, of course. And um, yeah, just like the sexual escapades in this book are really just crazy. Um, so I want to just quickly sort of get to... Uh, we're going to do a laundry <laughs> list of some of his threesomes, foursomes, <laughs> and then usual orgies. Uh, the book. <laughs> There's just so much in that book. Like I said, go and get it, get read it, it and... Sit on and a, just sit, sit on, on a, all of that sit tea. Sit on some tea and sip on a, a dryer and just have a good time. <laughs> sit on a dryer. Pop some quarters in that big boy. <laughs> and just let that bitch ride on out. <laughs> um, so, like I said, he became a millionaire. He was really successful. He was touring the world. In October 1957, Little Richard embarked on a package tour in Australia. You know if something's popping off in Australia, it's really popping off. They're it, always like the last to get it. And if the, and if and if they're going... They're on it, then it's it's on and yeah, it's good. Exactly. Even still, on, vice versa too. If something comes over from Australia to the states, you know it's probably gonna be pretty good. That's true. I mean, in recent years, there's been a big Australian music renaissance. Another story for That's another true. time. Yeah, there's a lot of great Australian music. Yeah. Um. So while he was on this tour, um, it was the launch of Sputnik, which was like the Russian mm-hmm. satellite. Yeah. And he started having these like paranoid delu- like just. He thought it was going to be the end of the world, and he had a vision from God that, um, you know, God was going to save him from this plane crash, and that he needed to quit secular music and become a minister and go into ministry. Um, <laughs> actually, turns out that the plane he was supposed to be on did actually crash. No shit. So he was like, "Okay, that's a sign." That's a sign. So he gave up. Um, secular music, and in 1958, he formed Little Richard Evan- Evangelistic. Let me start that again. In 1958, he formed Little Richard Evangelistic Team, traveling across the country to preach. Um, so he'd completely given up rock this and rock and roll, and roll sex yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, so he kind of disappeared. Um, and then he like made a um, a gospel record with Mahalia Jackson. Um, I did not know that either. Yeah. Do you have like a track from there? I don't. We'll add it to the plot spot by playlist. I am not using my words at all today. <laughs> um. So um, around this time, he started like getting really into drugs as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. He found the Lord and also found he cocaine. He found the Lord and he got real high on drugs. <laughs> um, he was really into cocaine and then PCP and then heroin. In the book, he says that he should have changed his name to Little Cocaine in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad he didn't. Um, that was probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, I also just imagine him telling this story while lounging on like a giant like fur throw. Yeah, and, and like, like a round mattress. Absolutely. And he's got like bedazzled like Cuban house heels. shoes on. Like kitten heels. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like that little... Yeah, absolutely. Just like all the jerry curl. Just like yep. staining... Bangles. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sleeves of bangles. <laughs> this fantasy. Um, 
so yeah, he was like doing the doing drugs, doing Jesus, doing that whole thing. <laughs> and finally, like a concert promoter, he was also taking off in Europe in a really big way. Like his records were still being played over there. So he was convinced in 1962 by a concert promoter to go over there and do a tour. Uh, Sam Cooke was the opening act for his oh, tour. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, on this, it was around this time that he met um, Paul McCartney and the Beatles. He was like a huge influence, influence to them. Really, I mean, yeah. there really wouldn't be the Beatles without without Little Richard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they've they've talked about how important he is to their sound for absolutely since the very beginning. Since the beginning, and Paul McCartney wrote the uh, the forward for this book. Yeah, you showed me the forward. It was like. It's weak. It's so weak. It's the most Paul McCartney thing I've ever written. It was like, Little Red, Richard Red. was a man, yeah. is a man, and we, this is a book. And he's my friend now. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, he returned to the UK not long after that, and Rolling Stones were his opening act. Oh, cute. Yeah. Yeah. He put them on. He put them on. He absolutely did. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That is. And this is like you said, mid sixties, right? Sixty. Yeah, early sixties. Wow. Also, Jimi Hendrix was in his band. No mm-hmm. shit. Before he was Jimi Hendrix. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and James Brown was one of his um, vocalists. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. That was the only one. That I mean, I that's, yeah, crazy. that's crazy. That you lineup. Had, that was, that you had four. the Rolling Stones opening up for you. You had Sam Cooke opening up for you. You had the uh. Beatles. You had the Beatles asking you how to write rock and roll. Yeah. That was one. That was one of their conversations. <laughs> yeah. You had Jimi Hendrix playing in your band and James Brown James singing, Brown singing your BBs. You. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what you would call doing it, right? <laughs> I mean, or just kind of doing winning it. in general. That's that's crazy to to know that like not just not only from like an influence perspective, but for someone who like they interacted with him on like a like a day-to-day basis. Yeah. In a sense to where they learned and they watched him, like, do his thing on, on like, this is not just like, hey, I grew up listening to your music. This is like, no, I worked with you. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to know that he touched all those people whom changed music. He touched a lot of people. He touched a lot of people. <laughs> oh, um, God. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, and then there was a couple of marriages and the, the next 20 years is like a blur. I'm telling you, like I said, everybody was getting divorced back then. Yeah. You know, I don't believe for a second that it's an epidemic. It's just, it's a thing. It's just always been a thing. People collected, people collected divorces back then. But people also stayed in bad marriages. That is true. There were a lot of those. Yeah. I don't know. Not that people don't do that, but they don't do it as much. No, they don't. Yeah. People cop out, but still. So the next 20 years is like, there's a lot of like, not quite going as big as it was you know he did a lot of recordings he was in ministry he sort of really struggled with his sexuality his faith and his career and his drug addiction and his drug addiction which he eventually got under control he got sober and um he had like a really big comeback in the 80s which is you know obviously like the stuff that we know more of like the late 80s the early 90s like little richard stuff um, he sued his old record company for $112 million. What? Um, What's... Oh, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Okay, I found something on the web for his already company for $112 million. <laughs> Take a look. Oh, God, Siri is always so extra. Leave so extra. Um, she heard sued and she thought I was calling her name. <laughs> um, and then when the book, when this book 
was published, it like relaunched his career. People became really obsessed with him. He started touring again in Europe. No way. Yeah. And then he started getting cast in like films and TV shows. Um, Rookie of the year. This was the, like the first thing I think he did was that was in the film was down and out in Beverly Hills, which is a great movie. If you've never seen it, it. it's got Bette Bette Midler in it. It's a hoot. Um, He wrote a song for this film. That was like one of his comebacks. It's called Great Gosh Almighty. It's a matter of time. Oh, I remember that song. So 80s. Yeah. He's in his 50s at this point. Yeah. Still killing it. Anyway, that's a great film, too, <coughs> if you've never seen it. Still rocking that same chord progression. Uh, only. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, he only learned how to play keys from a drag queen <laughs> named Escondido or whatever, so... <laughs> I, 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 don't, I would not say that she was probably, like, a concert pianist by no. any stretch of the imagination. Mm-mm. But, like I said, I mean... She did one thing, and she did it real well. That's it. Hollered. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um... Little Rich is still alive. Very much so. He's 84. I we was, don't know where he is. Yeah, if anyone knows where to locate Little Richard, please let us know. If anyone has any information leading to the whereabouts of Little Richard. Yep, he's uh, beat in the face. and He's about 5 foot 9. 5 foot 9. Tall hair, probably. Uh, I'd probably describe his style as soft butch. <clears throat> and Definitely. Uh, a... Uh, I'm sure he's still rocking. You know what they need to do? Mac Cosmetics. Oh my God! Come Mac Cosmetics, if you are listening, with which a you're not, Lil Richard line. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that would sell like oh my crazy. God. Can you imagine? People would go nuts for it. You know, all, all the, the gays would be in it. All the soft fems, the high fems <laughs> would be all about the soft, <laughs> the soft butch, the rough butch, the high fem, the low fems. Yep, they'd all be all over it. Yeah. Do it. Make some money. Yeah, um, I remember because like when Prince died, um, people were shortly thereafter saying, um, "Hey, little Richard, um, pray for him. He's on his last leg." And then he yeah. was like, "Nah, girl, I'm fine. <laughs> like I'm still doing honey, it. I'm still like, singing, honey, honey. <laughs> Miss Thing, <laughs> Miss Thing, <laughs> Miss Thing. I am still doing this." <clears throat> um, yeah, no, he's still kicking it. Does he he's have any kick- interest in like? Do you know anything about it? If he has, when's the last music he released? I don't That's think. a great question. Um, I know there's been like a couple of like biopics about him that haven't been really that great. He was there have been. There was one. I know he was like he was a character in some movies. Yeah, there was the one about. Um, there was the Get On Up. Yeah, the James Brown James movie, Brown which had had a you know had Little Richard in it. Yeah, but then there was like a TV movie about him. That was made um, in the, I think in two thousand. It was called Little Richard. It's so crazy that he's outlived so many people that were so. Oh my major god! That, seriously, that were inspired by him. Yeah, he's outlived a lot of people. That's bananas. Yeah, it is really crazy. 
I never like I literally just kind of put that together in my head that like this man whom really I mean he's obviously old but like for you know Prince Michael John Lennon yeah uh all these people to be gone now yeah Chuck Berry David Bowie David Bowie yeah um Buddy Holly Buddy Holly yeah I mean yeah. just all these people that claimed him to be like this god in in their eyes um, who are you know responsible for so much uh, that he, for him to have kind of outlasted them? That's that's really bananas to see, yeah. and for him to have gone through his own fair share of you know like hardships and dealing with the industry and uh, drug addiction and um, all kinds of other shit, and for him to go through all that and to make it through—that's some staying power. That is some goddamn will right there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's probably you know. God wanted him around Absolutely. for some reason. To get um, us through this Trump presidency, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just end on a little conversation um, that um, in 1987, John Waters was hired by... Oh, John Waters' favorite legend icon of all time is Little Richard. I did not know that. John Waters' number one yeah. is Little Richard. <laughs> which I think is probably what inspired his pencil mustache. It absolutely makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah. His like st- style of dressing. Everything. That 1950s double-breasted, like checkered suit, pencil-thin mustache. That, like, now that you say that, like, yeah. it's very obvious. <laughs> it's very obvious. Just um, over the top. So Playboy magazine sent him to do like an investigative report on Little Richard. He did an interview. In this interview, he sort of, they talked about the book and he sort of, he said a lot of it wasn't true, that he hadn't said a lot of those things. He sort of went back on a lot of it. Um, And he talked about his Christian faith um, and... How he left the dick behind. He didn't really, like, he kind of had changed his tune a lot since this book. Yeah. And then he... See, tra- that's what... Like, I was under the impression, because from, like, what I had read of him <clears throat> in the past was that he always kind of, like... Skirted the issue. Skirted issue and never talked about it. So, like, for, for to hear you kind of say, like, all these things that he said in this book, I was like, what? Yeah, no, he spilled all the tea. A whole bunch of it. Just a whole pot. But then he tried... T- he wouldn't let um, John Waters leave until he'd signed... Like basically uh, a clause saying that, yeah, no, saying that um, Little Richard and his people had final say over anything that was printed in the article. Uh And he said, well, no, that's not freedom of the press. Like, you know, you should have had me sign it at the beginning. Yeah. You know, that's not how this works. Yeah. John like refused to sign it. They wouldn't let him leave. They almost got into like a fist fight. It was like a a whole thing. A whole thing. They had his lawyer on the phone. John was like, I'm not signing this. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know. And Little Richard to. was like throwing tantrums. Eventually, they sort of made peace uh-huh. and ended up giving him like a signed copy of the book. Cute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> they got into it. Yeah. Oh man. So Little Richard is he still so much more? He's still into. He's still doing his church thing, or you know, I really don't know that, a, a ton about what, what he's doing now. So, oh yeah, duh, we already talked about if someone knows the whereabouts or the happenings of one little Richard. I feel like we could do like a whole follow-up. Where could he be? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's that's, that's pretty much it. Woo-hoo! 
That was great, actually. Like, I I think we, I learned a lot today. I learned a lot, definitely. Um, and it's great because, like, like we said, these two are just massive, massive, massive influences mm. uh, and so vital in the, the, the fabric of American music and not just American music, but global music mm. because um, so much of what we what we appreciate uh in not just rock and roll but in gospel mm. and in just blues, in culture and culture in, in performance general. Yeah, yeah i mean like you were saying from the lights the stage yeah, shows I mean, no one had used like stuff. strobe lights on stage before little richard like these are showmen like yeah and they're super super important uh and it, it's i think it's important specifically for anyone that considers themselves to be a musician or an artist or a singer or a performer of any sort to study these people mm. uh, because it, when you when you're able to kind of see where it all started and where it became uh, what it is now, I think the idea of, of of innovation becomes or the ability to innovate becomes way more uh, way more realistic for uh, someone to achieve when you understand like where something came from mm. and how it grew you know like in your appreciation of music uh just learning more about these people and getting into their into their catalog uh i don't know i, I think it, you find something about your own history in in the, in the in the in the process of doing so yeah so i, I agree yeah um, so hopefully you've learned something. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. If you have any um, like suggestions, suggestions, like I said, rate, review, review, subscribe. subscribe. All that stuff. If you have corrections, you can email us. Yeah. At um, context, context of sound, of sound. at gmail dot com. You can find gmail. us on Twitter. Uh, I'm I've gotten a little bit better uh, at tweeting. I've been tweeting with some people. Um, which is oh yeah i've seen you popping up on I know, twitter right isn't that cute i'm yeah. just like i'm just trying i'm just dipping my toes someone out on in npr there. today called um trump um a, a twitter troll did he yeah oh well i mean he is he's yeah. been a troll for since i think he maybe originated he's a bridge he's, troll he's he's he was the original twitter troll <laughs> um <laughs> did you see that little bit uh on SNL a few couple weeks ago with Kristen Stewart in which she was covering uh, the tweets that Donald oh, yeah. Trump did about her yeah. in 2012. Oh, SNL has been so they good. They have been on point yeah. this season. I mean, Whenever just, this country's in the dumps, SNL gets they, real good. They do. I mean, they've been killing it, but <laughs> it's just funny because you're like, man, this dude is... He is on one. You know what? We're going to get through one. Next week, not We're a single not talk Trump. About him. Not a single Trump. Uh, comment will be uttered. I can yeah. promise you that. Let's do it. We're going to try. Goals. Hashtag Anyways, goals. Hashtag uh, blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> hashtag blessed. Hashtag pioneers in rock and roll. <laughs> hashtag black history. Man. I'm in all my head. Over my head. I'm in over my head. Over my head. Explain it to me There's no joy I can take With no one was waiting Here for now But not for long Where will my mind slip away?
And more importantly, stay up. Stay up. Stay woke. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.